0: Describing her daily routine of what she eats. So um, she doesn't eat in the morning, and then she eats, um, oh, then she works out for an hour, does a sauna for a half an hour, and then she eats this uh, basically, it's a bone broth, right pacha. If it's not cold, right, it's like hot pacha, basically. That's what it is. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, um, she has an app, she does some work, and then she has a meal consisting of basically a paleo meal for dinner. And then the, uh, the news was filled with both uh, conventional media and then the alternative media, which we call social media, was kind of rippling through trying to analyze exactly what this is. In other words, is it something healthy? Is it an extreme kind of behavior? Like, what exactly is this? And in addition to that, she also does intermittent fasting. Now, intermittent fasting, you're, many of you are nodding. You know what this is. For some of you who don't know, I will explain. Intermittent fasting is exactly the way that it sounds. That people will, on alternating days that they won't eat, or on consecutive days, that they're, uh, they will only eat for eight hours a day, and then the rest of the time they don't eat, which is a horror for most Jews. Actually, but anyway um, as an, as a sidebar when uh the first night when i was um, the first week when I was in israel and i I went on that Saturday night, so I landed on Friday and then on after Shabbat, I went to my first protest and if you're a little bit familiar with Tel Aviv, you'll know that the funnel road that by and large leads you to where the protests were being held, which is right by Sarona in Tel Aviv on Rochov Kaplan Kaplan Street, was Rothschild Boulevard, and um, Rothschild Boulevard is one of the oldest boulevards in Tel Aviv. It has a beautiful, leafy kind of pedestrian boulevard. It's a stunning, stunning area of the city, and it is littered on the along the pedestrian boulevards. There are many, many stops where people have these. Uh, they have these kiosks where they sell coffee and cake and whatnot. Anyways, the line to get a cup of coffee and a piece of cake before people went to the protests, <laughs> they were like wrapped around the blog. God forbid our blood sugar should run low. So even for a good cause, certainly. So, um, so anyway... Um, They were analyzing her diet and the fasting and everything. And the fact is, we know that certainly intermittent fasting is not a weird concept to us anymore. It is fairly, I mean, many people perhaps don't do it, but people understand it. And if they would say to you, you know, I do intermittent fasting. And people who do the intermittent fasting, what do they say? Not only does it help with my weight management, um, but also um, in, in the periods when I'm not eating, that it sharpens my awareness, my thinking process. And more importantly, what it actually does is that it resets my relationship with the idea of what it means to be hungry and what food is meant to do for me. There's also a more extreme version of this. I hope I'm saying the word correctly. It's called frena or frana. And um, what, what that is, it's from the Far East, where people do an extreme version of intermittent fasting. Basically, it's kind of like a Yom Kippur, actually, but they drink. And it's supposed to, where they say that the further they are from the, uh, the time when they ate, the more energy they feel they have, and the clearer they feel their minds are. This phenomenon is not at all uh, foreign to many of us, Um, certainly the older you get, when Yom Kippur finishes, what's the first thing often you say to yourself? "Eh." "Eh, what was I so worried about? Which is in contrast, of course, when you're young. When you're young, it's all a panic. But that is both, I think, a combination of the physical, but more the mental. All of this by and large, these trends or habits that people have with the frenna or the intermittent fasting or the diet regime that Gwyneth Paltrow is trying to publicize, presumably to market in her name, these are all attempts, an at indirect and clumsy attempt at doing what the Torah specifically spoke to us this morning. Not surprisingly, spoken more often than the commandment of the Sabbath or many, many other mitzvot commandments is the mitzvah of and how we go about eating. The mitzvah of eating kosher food is one of the most predominant mitzvot in the Torah, both directly and indirectly. There are probably, I'm just going to say, six or seven, perhaps even more, illusions, either direct or indirect, to the things that we can or cannot eat. And the target, of course, is that while those other more new agey modern diets are trying to say something, as I said, indirectly and clumsily, the Torah comes straight out and says why we do this. The Torah says the reason why we observe kashrut is because it makes us holy. Now, I know that doesn't go very far in answering the question. But at least the Torah is connecting some moral existential value as to why we pursue what we eat and what we don't eat. Now, I'm going to age myself a little bit, but I'll share with you that there was a very well-known author who was quite popular in North America in the 60s and the 70s, he was an American Jew, a rabbi, and a scholar who taught at the Jewish Theological Seminary. He wrote a series of very popular fiction novels. His name was Chaim Potok. His most famous book was My Name the Chosen, followed by My Name is Ashalev. It was so popular they made a movie about it with Robbie Benson. I'm, I'm also aging myself here. But he also went about and wrote a fairly recognized book about... Jewish law and the story of the Jews called The Wandering. If you haven't read it, it's a good read. And in The Wandering, Chaim Potok tries to do what countless scholars have tried to do for hundreds if not thousands of years. He tried to explain in simple English why we do the things we do, why we observe the Sabbath, what's the meaning of the Jewish holidays. And then he goes and tries to explain Why, in fact, we observe the laws of Kashrut. He took a page out of Maimonides in doing this, by the way. So what does he give the reasons as to why we do it? Why do we not eat milk and meat together? Potok says, well, you know, way back when in the desert, milk would go bad in the heat. They didn't have refrigeration. It wasn't so healthy to mixing milk and meat together. Why didn't they eat pig? Because pigs have trichinosis, which is a disease that only only pigs apparently seem to carry. Why don't Jews eat shellfish? Because by and large, they were a wandering desert people. They didn't know from such things. And those are the explanations he uses. I don't know how true or factually untrue it is what he says, but I do know that any suggestion that Kashrut has a connection practically to health doesn't know Jews. What's the old joke? More Jews have died in the kitchen than in the battlefield. There is no practical connection on a practical basis, not on an ideal basis, by the way. Listen carefully. Not on an ideal basis, but on a practical basis. Just because something says it's kosher, it doesn't mean that it's healthier, unfortunately. But the idea that there's some kind of practical argument as to why we do this while I understand the impulse, the search to find a practical answer to explain it, misses the point. When the Torah comes and tells us that the pursuit of holiness is the reason why we observe kashrut, why we only eat certain animals, why we separate meat from dairy and never eat them together, why there are certain things in the water that we don't eat as opposed to other things. Why animals that we eat have to be killed in a certain way as opposed to just killing it anyway. What the Torah is actually trying to say to us is what Leo Cass, in his great book called um, The Nourishment of the Soul. Cass was a, a medical doctor, but he was actually a philosopher. Leo Cass said that the reason when you think about it is that we all know that every living thing has a need to eat. But only humans can explore the meaning of eating. Seen in another way, for those of you who are familiar with either German or Yiddish, you'll appreciate this. In German, there are two words for taking in food. There is fressen and essen. In German, only animals fress humans, S. And what's the difference? The difference is that human beings choose what they eat. Animals don't. Animals eat either what's put in front of them or what nature enables them to eat. A cow, because of its stomach and dietary system, it can't eat meat. Cows can only eat vegetarian things. And so there's a distinct word given in German for humans that eat, because how humans eat is very different, because humans search to find meaning in what they eat. And because humans can eat anything, we're omnivores. The reason, one of the arguments that Kashu looks to make is that humans need to be taught how to make choices. If you just let humans do whatever it is they want to do in the moment, they will cease to be human beings. What's the great example by, uh, by Kant, the German philosopher? He says if you take a person as they are and you set standards for them where they are, they'll become less than what they are. But if you take a human being and set standards greater than what they are, the human will become actually more of a human being. The idea, one of the ideas of kashrut is that it is a tutelage from the earliest parts of our lives about how to make choices. Which is a skill that is woefully underdeveloped in our world. People don't know how to make choices. They don't think they actually have to make choices. They think the only choices they have to make are deciding on what they want in that particular moment. But those aren't choices. Those are impulses. Those are needs and not meaning. Human life must always be defined by meaningful choices. Otherwise, we fail to be human beings. This coming week, as I'm sure many of you know, is Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day. It is a somber time in the Jewish world. It is a deeply somber day in Israel as well. And I'm going to take a page out of a book that was written about four decades ago by Dennis Prager and Joseph Telushkin when they were early on in their writing careers. They wrote a small book meant for high Jewish, and Jewish high school students and college students um, asking some of the essential questions of the day and trying to answer them. And one of the questions they asked was, where was God during the Holocaust? and Tolushkin and Prager famously answer, and it's been repeated many, many times and seldom actually attributed to them. They wrote, don't ask where God was. Ask where man was. Because it was human beings who did this, either actively or passively by not intervening by trying to save other human beings. And so on this coming week, we are reminded once again that human life is always defined by the choices that we make. Shabbat Shalom.